0: IndieCast is presented by UpRox's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode we talk about the Grammys, yes, and Netflix's new We Are the World documentary. My name is Stephen Hayden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. He was offered eighty million dollars to do a live reading of his old
1: Pitchfork reviews, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? Yeah, you know that's not true, because I would do that for like you know, five, like like fifty dollars and a couple of drink tickets. <laughs> if we're talking 80 dollars, 80, $80, I would. I mean, I've read my Pitchfork review like. I think it was about Slipknot. Like I read a Pitchfork review piece <laughs> for free at Pitchfork Festival, so I think wow. you, I think you. I I, I I like it's obvious what the joke is, but like you're vastly overestimating, like you know my dis, my my will my willingness to turn down money.
0: <laughs> How much would it take for you to do a live reading of your childish Gambino review
1: of Camp in <laughs> front of Donald Glover? Uh, that's a great question because uh, you know he. I, I can't find this article, but I think he did threaten to beat my ass in, an, in a Vice interview because we right. like, went to the same gym.
0: Yeah, we've um, talked about this before, <laughs> Yeah, which is a great scenario. Uh,
1: like $1,000? That'd be more than that, right? You would the, need at least... What, what kind of ass beating am I getting here? Like, Am, am I going to the hospital, or is he just going to get me like one good sock in the face? I, I don't I, think... He wouldn't beat you up now, I don't think. I mean, that that's like... <laughs> what
0: twelve years ago that record came out? I think I, I think this could be a good like we'll film it. It'll be like a performance art piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you could get five figures for that. I think at least ten grand you could get for that for I sure. That, I
1: think that could have been like uh, now that I think about it, I'm sort of surprised it wasn't like woven into Atlanta as like a plot point. It's funny. Shout <laughs> to the Nursey podcast. They like actually meant. It's funny like they mentioned that review um, in that. It helped Donald Glover get better at music, but for the the weirdest part is that Jeff Weiss, who I've been like friends with for eighteen years, pronounces my name like Cone, C O H N. It's like C O N E rather than Cohen. I don't know what was up with that, but shout out to those guys.
0: Um, So the eighty million dollars reference is uh, that was inspired by a story this week that the Talking Heads apparently were offered eighty million dollars to do a run of festival dates. I think it was like six to eight festival dates. And they turned it down. And people have been talking about this. And, you know, I think for the most part, people are marveling at the integrity of Talking Heads for not <laughs> yeah. just taking the money. I think some people are, are amazed that they wouldn't take the money. Um, when I saw it, it made me think about how, you know, you think about bands that you would, would want to reunite... And for a long time, my number one band for that was Talking Heads. I was like, I've never got to see Talking Heads. I love that band. I would love to see them reunite. And I think they missed their window. And I think they know it. Because David Byrne is 71 years old. I think the rest of the members are in their 70s as well. And look, there's a lot of bands and artists that tour into their 70s and even their 80s. Willie Nelson is 90 and he's still playing but the thing about most of those people is that they're singer-songwriters uh you know Mick Jagger is the exception I guess in the Rolling Stones but like for the most part people are just standing in one place playing a guitar or piano they're not doing what David Byrne does and stop making sense where he's like jogging in place for you know the entire show it's a very physical type thing and you just think Do you really want to see Talking Heads in their 70s playing those songs? I mean, they just aren't physically capable, I think, of doing that kind of music. And some bands are like that. You know, other bands, again, or artists. You know, Bob Dylan can do "Don't Think Twice, It's All Right" in his 80s because he's just standing behind a piano with like a cool-looking hat on. But uh, (laughs) what Talking Heads do, I think, it's very different. So maybe it's integrity. Maybe it's also we're already rich. And I don't want to embarrass myself for eighty million dollars.
1: Or maybe it's just that, like, they don't want to be in the same room. Well, like, there's that, that too. Much. They, they, they that is like, that is like Smith's level. Like, I will accept ten million dollars to like not hang out with David Byrne for like three hours at a time for the span of a few months. I mean, look, I, I can't judge. I've like in past jobs. Where I've been like in an office, I've like considered how much of a pay cut I would accept if like somebody was just like fired. Like I would give up money for that. Uh, and <laughs> you know when you when you this is stories you've heard about like what it's like to work with David Byrne. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like Jerry Harrison doesn't need this shit. He's still eating off throwing copper money.
0: You know. Yeah, but you know, I'm sure that. The other three people would do this if David Byrne wanted to do it. Like, my huh. my my guess here is that David Byrne said no. And sure. then the reunion doesn't happen. I'm pretty sure that Tina Weymouth and Chris France could put aside their animosity for, you know, their cut of $80 million. I, I, I really think that, as in most cases with Talking Heads, it's it, it, be, it starts and ends with David Byrne. That would be my guess. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, it is funny, like... There was that event that the four of them showed up at, uh, I think it was at the, at the Toronto Film Festival, and they did a and a uh, after the revival of Stop Making Sense, yeah. and, and I think they did some interviews too, like they were on Colbert, and in every configuration, it's like David Byrne, and then Jerry Harrison is next to David Byrne, and Harrison is like the buffer between yeah. <laughs> Byrne and Weymouth in France uh very funny because you know harrison seems like the chillest dude and maybe it is because like you said he proved his musical metal by produ- by producing uh throwing copper
1: for live yeah. very combustive relationship between uh chad taylor and ed kowalczyk i mean if you can hang with them <laughs> david burns a fucking walk in the park i think he did the first one too that sounds true right yeah yeah
0: i think he did that one uh but uh you know throwing copper i mean come on just a masterpiece of <laughs> rock production uh i say that mostly tongue-in-cheek but yeah i mean i can't totally front i there's songs on that record i still
1: mess with i think damn it otter creek or like the hits
0: that that's a good one
1: that's a good <laughs> album opener discussion um, white uh <laughs> All right, we are already at, fuck the Grammys. We are doing throwing copper deep cuts, secret samadhi next week. We are live cast. Um, selling the drama—that's a good song. Yeah, it's good. You know, it's it's like REM didn't want to be REM, so like like Live was definitely gonna like corner that market. It was an interesting time because a lot of bands like u two, REM, Pearl Jam, like they were just like, yo, we don't want to be this stadium act anymore, and then. You know, you have live. It's like yeah, Fuck yeah, we we want in on that.
0: Yeah, man. Like we're from York, Pennsylvania. You know, we shit, we, AKA we come from shit town. <laughs> yeah, it's a humble humble background here. We have no qualms about selling out. And then, of course, fame goes totally to Ed Kowalczyk's head, and he <laughs> starts writing. You know, Lichini's the juice. Yeah, I writes Lakini's Juice in the entirety of this.
1: Is it Secret Sa- Samdi? How do you pronounce it? I think, it, it it's, Sam-dy? I think it's Secret Samadhi. Secret Samadhi? <laughs> you know, you would think I'd have this nailed down after like 17 consecutive yeah. years of making at least one or two Secret Samadhi gags.
0: Is A Dolphin's Cry on that record no, too? No, that's that... from The
1: Distance to Here.
0: <laughs> yeah, when you're when you're writing songs <laughs> with Dolphin in the title, you've lost the plot. Yeah. You know, you, you have reached the toxic level of rock star egotism when you're writing songs about dolphins or you're appearing in a video with dolphins, like Axl Rose and yeah. the Estrange <laughs> video.
1: Um, yeah, dolphins, dolphins Cry and Lakini's Juice are actually his sex songs. I think that's the fucked up part. So like, is a dolphin's cry an orgasm? Then is uh, that, is that seems, what you're saying? That seems that seems to be the metaphor. If you watch the <laughs> dolphins cry video, which I would recommend, it is maybe the like the 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 loosest, most obvious sex metaphor ever captured on video. It's it's fucking fantastic. Like it's basically saying uh. that, like Ed Kowalczyk's fucking could destroy an entire city block, <laughs>
0: which you know I'm gonna take his word for that. <laughs> I, I, don't need to, uh, I don't need any more proof, visual or otherwise, of that. Um, we should do a quick sportscast here. Uh, I feel like we have to apologize to our San Francisco listeners who uh, did not take kindly to the dialogue last week about San Francisco. I had people complaining to me that I, called it, that I called their city San Fran, and they don't like it. Apparently, when you call San Francisco San Fran, someone said, well, we call it Frisco. but not San Fran. I'm like, why is Frisco better than San Fran? I don't understand. But anyway, I didn't mean to offend people. Congratulations to the 49ers for making it to the Super Bowl along with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Uh, I was completely wrong in my Super Bowl prediction. Uh, That's why I only talk about sports on an Indie Rock podcast and not anywhere else. Um, Never pick against Patrick Mahomes in any circumstance. I think he's going to I think they're actually going to win the Super Bowl. I'm going to pick the Chiefs. Sorry, 49ers fans, but you guys have just looked shaky in the playoffs, and I don't think, you know, I don't see Dan Campbell on the side, uh, <laughs> yeah, on the sideline with the Chiefs. I don't see, you know, my guy Jordan Love first time making a playoff run. I see a very experienced team. I don't think you can afford to screw up against these guys. Um, do we want to delve into Taylor Swift discourse? Like, is this going to be the apocalypse? of Taylor Swift discourse in the next two weeks. I mean, I wrote a column in early January where I was pleading with people to be more normal about Taylor Swift in 2024. And, like, I could write an entirely different column about that same topic just based on things that have happened this month. Like, this is the craziest Taylor Smith mo- Taylor Smith? Taylor Swift... Month of all you got to confuse <laughs>
1: with legendary San Francisco, a.k.a. Frisco 49ers quarterback, Alex Smith.
0: Yeah, that's right. She's only the most famous person in the world. How, you know, It's very easy to get her name wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not prepared really for where we're going to be going. Because it's going to really ramp up next week. This is like the media week mm-hmm. next week for the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, the Taylor Swift stuff. I, I, I don't know if
1: I can take it. I feel like we've gotten off kind of easy in a weird way. I mean, maybe it's going to ramp up this week, but we're almost halfway through to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, maybe this is because the Taylor Swift beat at USA Today might be the only full time job in music journalism left by the time we record. But what's happened with Taylor Swift is not like we're getting the you know the psychotic Rob Sheffield articles, but we're getting we're getting that level of psychosis, but like from the conservative media because. Um, you know, I read this on Twitter. You would think that a team from the Midwest with uh, "racist" is too easy. Let's just say problematic nickname and also the tomahawk <laughs> chop chant. Um, you know, and their star like white boy tight end is dating the biggest you know pop star in the world, and they're like. Some kind of, like, eugenics-based Ubermensch fantasy. (laughs) And yet, because, I guess, you know, they're mad a woman's doing anything. And, like, Travis Kelsey did a Pfizer ad. They are so mad about this. They are actually rooting for fucking San Francisco. Like, the right-wing choice in the Super Bowl is San Francisco. Uh, Like, just last year, there was an entire book on the subject called San Francisco. Um, and look, <laughs> I, this is like some weird horseshoe shit because I thought for like a second that I can't pick any rooting interest in this game ethically, but no, it's like, obviously it's the chiefs, right? Like, um, I, cause the only time Pat Mahomes lost in the Super Bowl was to Tom Brady. So if he loses to fucking Brock Purdy, where you're going to get like 10, 20 years of like gritty gamer discourse and like. You know, aside from, like, pissing off, like, Barstool Sports people, like, I, I say that, like, lightly because Barstool Sports might be the only media company left by, like, by 2025. But, yeah, I, I think that the only ethical decision is the root for the Chiefs. I, I'm, I'm doubling down on the fucking, like, San Francisco hate. I think you mean Uproxx and Barstool
0: Sports yeah. will be around <laughs> in 2025. Um, yeah, I mean, the conservative media, yeah, they're going crazy with the Taylor Swift Travis Kelsey stuff, but with the normal media, Mm. I feel like the narrative of, like, Taylor Swift being a distraction, which I see people complaining about, like, people wanting to tell those people off, or that, like, Taylor Swift's being on TV too much, I feel like that's totally overblown. Like, I'm not really seeing that in the media as much as we would have 20 years ago. Like, do you remember, like, when Tony Romo was dating Jessica Simpson? Absolutely. And like he went with her to Mexico, I think, like yeah. on a bye week. And it was like before the playoffs or something,
1: I think, right?
0: Yeah, something like that. And it, it was like wall to wall coverage. And you just saw everyone on ESPN talking about, you know, Tony Romo's not taking his responsibility seriously and this is a you know this is a distraction and distraction this and distraction that. And people have Bent so far in the other direction that I actually do think the Taylor Swift stuff probably was a distraction for the Chiefs during the year. <laughs> I mean, how how could it not be? She's mm-hmm. the most famous person in the world. I mean, you know, is that why they didn't play as well this year? I doubt it. But I mean, that's a circus. Of course, it's going to be a distraction. It wasn't Travis. Like
1: it wasn't Travis Kelsey dropping those passes. Like Kadarius Tony was not dating Taylor Swift. Like Marcus. Uh, right. Yeah, it wasn't those guys. <laughs>
0: but it's like, you know, people don't want to be associated with like the worst trolls on the internet because those are the people who are talking the most about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. So, like, the, the urge to not be in any way associated with those people has caused, I think, the media to bend maybe a little too far the other way. To like, because we can't even talk about this. I feel like that was. Probably a factor in something. I mean, Travis. I mean, uh, yeah, Travis Kelsey didn't have like a a great season by his standards. And again, I don't think it's because he was hooking up with uh, Taylor Swift, you know, off the field. But I don't know. I still think it's okay to talk about that. I don't know. Right. I. I think I'm the I'm the I'm the bravest person in media, is what I'm saying <laughs> here, Ian. I'm the only person who can uh, talk about this. Uh, the last brave man standing. Right. I here. think
1: the difference is that like there there's this ambient hum of people are still not convinced that like Travis Kelsey and like Taylor Swift are actually like intimate. Whereas like people know, like, yeah, Tony Romo is like definitely getting his head twisted by like fucking being with (laughs) Jessica Simpson. Like that is very clear. Like this is some, some cornball from Eastern Illinois who like is hooking up with a pop star. Like Tony Romo is not doing at like Travis Kelsey was kind of famous before. Uh, he got together with Taylor Swift, which is why, you know, it's not like Taylor Swift's getting together with, uh, I don't know, Chris Jones or, uh, you know, uh, Isaiah Pacheco, like any of the other famous people on the Chiefs. Um, yeah, we, we knew that, like, Tony Romo was, like, in an absolute mental headlock over being with uh, Jessica Simpson. There's still – people are still not – I don't think – there, there's, like, on both sides of the political divide, like, I, like belief that this is just, like, a beard situation. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't know. I I think someone needs to make the documentary about Tony Romo and Jessica Simpson dating like they did about Britney, and we can have a, a reckoning about how we treated Tony Romo and Jessica Simpson. We can apologize to them that we didn't respect their love in the moment, you know, because we're, we're so much more enlightened now in the modern day. I think that documentary is going to be coming <laughs> on Hulu next year. I'm looking out for that. Um Let's do a quick fantasy draft update. Uh you have an album out today on your team.
1: The uh what's it DJ Iyer? The the the, the jazz yeah. pick. Yeah, I haven't seen any reviews of this yet. And we I thought that the Brittany Howard one was going to be out today, but that one got uh pushed back a week which not promising for me. Yeah, like, is that, is that, yeah, what's going on with that record? I feel like it's been moved around. It has been. And yeah, it's just not like, it is so, I, I'm starting to feel like Dan Campbell in that, like, I got a little too cute with my play calling, passing up easy points. I really wish I went with The Last Dinner Party. Uh, this is a UK rock act that, like, sounds like they're going to be fucking blowing up. They, my, my understanding is that they're like Wet Leg mixed with Wolf Alice. Um I think we're going to see like five enemy covers by the time the year's done but like yeah mm. I'm starting to get a little I'm starting to feel a little unsteady with my choices. Well, what's interesting about
0: our fantasy draft is that it took place before all of the turmoil at Pitchfork. Like we were drafting with the assumption that it would be a normal year for Pitchfork and now we're in a situation where I mean Pitchfork is still up and running but mm-hmm. it, we're not sure exactly where they're going to be going there's records that pitchfork would review that i don't know if they're going to be reviewed now i mean it, it's it's going to be i'm curious to see how that shakes out like the vj Iyer record you said ha- it hasn't been reviewed yet i actually think that plays to your advantage because i think the fewer reviews i think fewer reviews as is actually a good thing if it's like a record that an enthusiast is going to like Because if you get, like, two or three reviews that are just raves, right, and then, you know, because I feel like a record like that, people writing about it, unless they're jazz aficionados, (laughs) you know, they're going to be fans of the record. No one's writing about that record to shit on it. You know, they're writing about it because they really like it. And if they didn't like it, they wouldn't write about it.
1: It would be really funny if they did (laughs) shit. Because, like, I remember there was this one time, it was, like, a couple years back, um, Juliana Barwick, this someone who would be a very good choice in most circumstances and like one of the, like an ambient artist that like typically gets like well-reviewed uh, and someone like came out of like ambient Twitter and just completely shit all over her like her whole thing. And I, I, I don't agree with it necessarily, but I'm just like, I'm just stoked to see that, you know, <laughs> like maybe, maybe that's going to happen with VJ I doubt it. Um, but yeah, my, my worry is that it doesn't show up on Metacritic at all. Yeah, uh, well, God, that would be a disaster. Like, what happens then? Is that that like when uh, Brock Purdy, like the three, like San Francisco's like three quarterbacks got injured in the playoffs last year and they had to like have Christian McCaffrey running the single wing? Like,
0: Well, I feel, I
1: mean, normally
0: it would be like Aaron Rodgers going down. You know, it's like (laughs) you just lose your quarterback and you can't do anything about it. But like, I feel because you were so nice to me with the Faye Webster thing that I feel like I gotta let you just pick somebody else. So if if that happens, you know we'll see next week. Yeah. If 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 it's on Metacritic, if it's not, I think you're gonna have to pick somebody else, and you could just pick whoever you want. Um, that would be interesting because I really thought that was your best pick, and I still think <laughs> that's a really strong pick. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. You you never. That's why they play the games, folks. You don't win fantasy drafts on paper. You win them <laughs> on the battlefield of Metacritic. That's how you win. Um all right. Let's talk to let's talk about one of our favorite topics of the year, the Grammys. Um
1: Grammys are on Sunday. Are you gonna watch the Grammys? Uh I don't I, I honestly don't remember ever watching the Grammys in real time and like we're talking even like about the 90s when like that was the only thing you could possibly watch Um, I've definitely watched the Pro Bowl um, which just kind (laughs) of goes to show like I've often said that the Grammys are sort of like what NFL would like the NFL would be if the champion was determined by the Pro Bowl rather than the Super Bowl yeah I (laughs) could not like I, I just imagine myself watching this and being just profoundly annoyed it's like i would almost rather watch like the republican debates because you know at least you get some unintentional humor but the grammys take themselves even more seriously so well i will not be watching this i
0: will i mean i kind of go in and out of the grammys some years i've had to cover it so i had to watch i do think that uh i mean they've really shifted it to just be about the musical performances like there's just one performance after another and there actually are some good performances sometimes at the Grammys. I'm kind of curious. Like I know Joni Mitchell's performing. I'm kind of curious to see that. There's a couple other things that I'm curious to see. So I might watch, uh, or I might just watch via Twitter. Because I feel like if anything <laughs> happens, people are tweeting about it. And that's maybe the best way to do it. But um, let's run through the uh, top categories quick here and make our predictions. It's a lot of the same artists. Mm-hmm nominated in the top categories uh for record of the year you have billy eilish boy genius john batiste miley cyrus olivia rodrigo SZA, taylor swift and this is the uh the twist victoria monet mm-hmm. who i don't know at all i've never heard of her Do you know victoria monet
1: yeah her, her her last album got reviewed really well i think it like appeared on the obama album list i, I think that <laughs> okay yeah janelle monet is out victoria monet is in uh you know, that th- we, like, this is, it's like her, like, H-E-R, her. It's like, you know, okay. it's going to be showing up on Obama's uh, year-end list for the next 25 fucking years. But, uh, yeah, I think that they're, I've listened to it. It's it's good. It's like, you know, R&B, like, it's, you know, a little, it, it's, it's, it, it, it's left of, it's a little bit left of center R&B. Not like SZA type, but, like, it's, 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 it's really hitting the midpoint between like granny bait and like you know new era new york times pitchfork bait.
0: Like when you said it was on Obama's list, I knew exactly what it sounded like. Yeah, I think that like Obama is a genre. Yeah. I think if you say that you know exactly what you're getting. It's sort of like what NPR was right. 15 years ago. That's that's what Obama is. Um so I hate the Billie Eilish song that's nominated. It's the song from Barbie. Mhm. Uh, and I guess it's the, the conceit of the song or the idea of the song is that it's a doll wondering, like, what am I here for? Like, cause that's the name of the song, right? Like, what was I made for? Correct. And, uh, I just think it's such a melodramatic, like, <laughs> song for like a pretty ridiculous situation. Like, I'm just Ken, I can get behind that song cause it has like a sense of humor about like what kind of movie it's in but you know when barbie gets serious i don't know i just i i, I check out of that so i hate that song which makes you think it's going to win Absolutely. record of the yeah. year yeah right cuz they love billie eilish this is a terrible song but it's sappy the grammys will go for it i think boy genius is a dark horse here mm-hmm. because i think the grammys like they want to be cool and they will occasionally Throw an award at like a young up and coming indie-ish act, white man Bonnie Bear. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) it's right. You have like the Bonnie Bear. You've got the uh, Arcade Arcade Fire situation, and even someone like Billy Eilish, I think, would fall under that as well. So I think they're gonna want to give Boy Genius something. So I could see them winning in record or song of the year, but yeah, I I think it's
1: between them and Billy Eilish in this category. Billy Eilish, I mean, even before like if you asked me like a month ago when the nominations went out, I would say that Billy Eilish was a pretty good pick because, like that, in the same way that you know, you said as as soon as you said that uh, Victoria Monet was on Obama's list, you know what she's you know what she sounds like. Billy Eilish is kind of what the Grammys have glommed onto in a similar way in that there's, you know, a certain type of edginess about her, at least, you know, previously. Um, but Dave Grohl will say she's the future of rock and roll. So, it, it, like, they they're gonna ru- they're gonna ride that one to the wheels fall off. Like, I granted, I don't know the difference between Song of the Year and and Record of the Year. I'm sure you could explain it, but like, yeah, like they're both for songs. But here's the thing: I thought that what was I made for was kind of a lock a month ago, and now that the Oscars came out and like supposedly you know, snubbed Barbie in ways that just will make the culture break down. Guaranteed fucking win. And you're going to get Billie Eilish possibly up there or someone who wrote it with her and just kind of, like, throw shade at the Oscars for not uh, having uh, Margot Robbie as, like, you know, best actress or Greta Gerwig for best uh, or uh, director or what have you. Yeah, the, like, I, I think that's a guarantee. Um as far as Boy Genius, I do, I don't know. I get a rumbling sense of like this could be the new The Suburbs or, you know, the White Man Bonnie Bear. I just have to refer to it as the White Man Bonnie Bear in reference to the Grammys. But um, yeah, my only other lock is that the Foo Fighters are going to win something because uh, they're nominated, I think, for like best rock and best. Well,
0: art. we'll hold off on that because we have oh. we have some other categories here okay, that we're going to cool. talk oh, about. We're, here we're going go go yeah, to go. We're going to go And I need to like because record of the year is <laughs> right. the recording of the song, and song of the year is like the, it, that goes to the songwriters. So like the recording, so. Yeah, so like, if, like a song of the year situation might be like the artist doesn't win because they didn't write the song, but it would go to the songwriter. Uh. So that's the distinction there. So, well, let's talk about album of the year here. These are the nominees. We got Boy Genius, you got Janelle Monet, you got John Baptiste, you got Lana Del Rey, Olivia Rodrigo, SZA, and Taylor Swift. And okay, so in this category, this is the category that always pisses people off, like the inevitable post Grammys controversy always comes from album of the year last year it was because Harry Styles won and Beyonce didn't win in past years it's always involving Beyonce I feel like 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 Beck won one year and Beyonce didn't um Adele won one year and Beyonce didn't uh Mumford and Sons won one year and Frank Ocean didn't basically it's a white artist beating a more deserving black artist. Back Lamar Magic
1: like Lamar is like the gold standard for that.
0: And that's, in, that's not album of the year. That's in the oh, rap right. category. But yeah, it's a, it's a similar thing. So if we believe that this pattern is going to repeat itself this year, I think Taylor Swift wins album of the year and the SZA fans get very angry on Monday. That would be my prediction. I feel very strong about that. I think Taylor Swift is a lock in this category. She's won Album of the Year three times already. This would be the fourth. Um, So, you know, maybe that will... I don't know if that will mitigate the outrage or not. I mean, I don't know if people are gonna be like, oh, Taylor Swift is so huge that she has to get it, we can't be angry about it. But I do think SZA, you know, that record is uh, one of the most acclaimed records of like recent years. I mean, SOS, people love that record. And she's very famous as well, so I think a Taylor Swift win and outraged Scissor fans. I think that there's a very good chance of that uh, in this category.
1: Yeah, it just goes to show how little attention I pay to the Grammys because I thought that like Taylor Swift kept losing Album of the Year, but it turns out she's won it three times. So. Yeah, like going back to like Fearless,
0: huh. you know. So she's been winning like for a long time year huh. um, and I don't know Like, I, I think Stevie Wonder has won four albums of the year trophies I, I feel like that's probably a record mm. and uh, so Taylor Swift is going to uh, probably match that this year I think.
1: yeah uh, maybe the Herbie Hancock fans like get like fucking pissed off about it, or Stevie Wonder or whoever it is that like, currently holds the record but yeah I think that um, yeah a boy genius I could see a path for that like similar to the suburbs um but you know what i'm hoping to see like yeah maybe we get like some outrage but man i just want to see if like john batiste got shooters out there like that where they're just like so convinced that world music radio is this like polyglot genius record that encompasses all genres like is obama maybe obama like gets on the gets on the mic and starts uh you know, starts like ranting about like how he's overlooked. And also the fact like, well, well he's already are... won.
0: A, he won an album of the year Grammy a couple years ago, like just came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, That's why we
1: know who won. he is.
0: <laughs> and I mean, if he won, like, if he won this award twice this decade,
1: that would be, I would actually love that. That would be yes. like
0: old school Grammys. Like, I want
1: the most Grammy pick possible. Like I want and, Warren. I want more Yeah. I, I won't get ahead of myself, but yeah. Well, okay. I, I want the most Grammy shit possible.
0: Yeah, I mean, okay, let's just skip song of the year because mm-hmm. I think that's going to be Billie Eilish again. We don't need to talk about that category. Let's go to Best New Artist. This is the last category I want to talk about because uh, you got, okay, these are the
1: nominees. You got Coco Jones. I don't know who that is. You got Gracie Abrams. That's J.J. Uh, Abrams' daughter. <laughs> is, is, is it? I think so, yeah. Gracie, like, I'm pretty sure that's who it is.
0: Uh, oh, wow, good for her. <laughs> uh, picking up by the bootstraps. Uh, Fred again. Uh, Ice Spice Jelly Roll Noah Khan, Victoria Monet and The War and Treaty so okay you actually have like some pretty well known artists in this category I think it's between Noah Khan, Ice Spice and The War and Treaty I'm gonna go with Noah Khan. I just think he is such a Grammys like down the center pick mm-hmm. you know for those who don't know I, I wrote a thing about <laughs> him earlier this month but like he is like the new Mumford & Sons, essentially. And we know the Grammys love Mumford & Sons. I don't know if Noah Khan is performing on the Grammys. If he is, he's going to kill. Like, I remember like, when, when Mumford & Sons were on the Grammys, more sort of regular people in my life wanted to talk about that. Like, they, people just love seeing Mumford & Sons on an award show. Like, they just kill in that environment. If Noah Khan is playing, he's going to kill. and So I just think he's going to win in this category yeah
1: i think that noah khan like not just being like Mumford and sons ish but kind of mixed with zach bryan in a way which is also like i'm sort of shocked that he's not best new artist like maybe he'll be nominated when he makes mm. his next album but yeah the Warren treaty um yeah i think that's kind of a sleeper candidate like that is the most like grammys core stuff imaginable Jelly Roll, like, my understanding of him is that he's, like, a country rap dude who sort of looks like Action Bronson with face tattoos. Uh, Fred, again, like, no fucking prayer. uh, But he'll win, like, Best Electronic Artist for the next 20 years. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Who's the best... Like, I'm, I'm like, wondering, who's the best metal... metal, uh, Because that one's always interesting because they have, like, one new person in there. But then it's, like... Did Slipknot put out an album? Did Metallica put out an album? Did Ozzy Osbourne put out an album? Oh, it's Metallica, Disturbed, Ghost, Slipknot, and I guess Spirit Box is the new one. Uh, yeah, I saw a couple of Spirit Box hoodies at the Explosions in the Sky show, so that just shows the uh, level of penetration they've got.
0: Yeah, it's the biggest night in music, so <laughs> can't wait for it. Uh, let's talk about The Greatest Night in Pop, Yes, which is a new documentary that premiered on Netflix this week. It's about the 1985 charity single, We Are the World, which, if you don't know what that is, because I guess, you know, you got young people out there who were born in the 90s, they may not know what We Are the World is. It was this song written by Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson uh, to raise money to fight African famine. And they assembled all of these huge stars in 1985 to sing on this song. And you got Bruce Springsteen, you got Willie Nelson, you got Stevie Wonder, you've got Huey Lewis, you've got uh, did I say Cyndi Lauper already? I think so. You got Waylon Jennings for
1: a few <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Said
0: her twice. Uh, you got Kenny Rogers, Paul Simon. You got uh, just a litany of, of of superstars on this song, and. Look, I mean, the song is terrible. We can just say that at the top. It's not a good song. And I have to say that when I first heard about this documentary, I wasn't that interested in it. But then I heard people talking about it. I was like, oh, I'll watch it. And it's a very fun movie. I I'd highly recommend watching it this weekend. And the thing about it is, you know, even if this song sucks, which I think it does, <laughs> it does. The, the movie makes a convincing case that it's like pretty amazing that this all came together. Because you have, like, all these famous people. It's, like, the night of the American Music Awards. And, like, they're staying up all night, essentially, to record this song. And there's this idea that, like, if the session doesn't constantly stay in motion that these, you know, stars are going to be like cats and just wander away. You know, so they're just trying to keep everyone engaged. And, I don't know, there's, like, all these great stories, about the behind the scenes. You got Al Jarreau. The <laughs> iconic. <Al> <laughs> iconic jazz R&B singer. Who apparently was drinking so much wine. That he could barely get through like the one <laughs> lyric. Of the song that he has. Uh, you got Paul Simon. Who is Digi. like the worst. Yeah he's like the worst vibes. Of anyone in the session. And you can even see it in the music video. For We Are The World. Because like, it's like him and Kenny Rogers. Which I think Paul Simon was pissed that he was paired with Kenny Rogers. I think he probably felt like I deserve to be with Stevie Wonder or Bruce Springsteen. You got me here like at the B team with Kenny Rogers. Although this was before Graceland too. Like, so Paul Simon was a little bit down on his luck at the time. I think Mm. he probably would have been paired with somebody else if, if it was after Graceland. But, um, know I wrote a column about, uh, this documentary where I ranked all the singers on we are the world and my top 2 i had stevie wonder at number 1 and bruce springsteen at number 2 because like for me the highlight of the song is at the end where stevie wonder and bruce springsteen are like shouting at each other basically <laughs> you got like the split screen going on and like stevie wonder's like we are the world and then bruce who is in the middle of the born in the usa tour and it's his at the voice end. is
1: it's like at the end well, of the tour
0: no, it's a. It was during a break. Oh, because okay, okay. It was like it, like the first leg ended, like the night before this session, and then he had a break, and then he toured. I just wrote a book about Born in the USA. <laughs> I know uh, how long the tour is, cause, cause that the movie tour went. Was,
1: the movie was misleading. Then they made it seem like it was the end of the tour. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his tour, like
0: the the leg of the tour, ended in early '85, and then it picked up again. Like he went overseas and then he came back to america and played stadiums later on in 85 but anyway his voice is like maximum bruce springsteen raspiness and like his jaw is like the size of alaska and it's just like <laughs> we are the world it's like incredible voice so like that's the favorite part of the song for me just stevie and bruce yelling at each other you know about uh, about how they are the world and they are the children um
1: I don't know. I, I DM would you because I was like, you gotta watch this movie. I want to yeah. talk about this on the show. Did you like the movie? Yeah, I wouldn't have watched this if you hadn't uh, if you hadn't uh, nudged me in that direction. and I'm glad I did. I, I'm just go- on the one hand, like I think that they really had to stretch to make the conflicts really pop here. But at the same time, I do think like a get back style like five hour documentary where you just see like what these people are doing to kill time when other people are doing their solos would be interesting. Um, yeah, this song sucks. I fucking hate it. Um, I've never actually <laughs> listened to the whole thing, which is seven minutes long by the way. Um, but yeah, it's like uh, the line that never made sense to me is like, uh, we're safe. There's a choice we're making. We're saving our own lives. Um, I, look, I, I, they make it clear that, like, Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson had to write this song in, like, a matter of days. And, you know, it's broad, it's an anthem, but, like, we're saving... Our, like, what what about the African people? You know what I mean? So, well, I think the
0: idea of it... I'm, maybe I'm being generous with my interpretation, but they're saying, like, we're all together. Right. So it's like, your life is my life. You know, I think that is my
1: interpretation of it <laughs> uh,
0: cuz i don't think they're just talking about like they like our we're rich we're saving our lives i think they're saying
1: spiritually we're saving our you, own
0: lives yeah like like the like like the people in africa and, and the people in hollywood we're all the same we're one people like we are the world together
1: ah. yeah i mean yeah. I, I i would say that like this the i'm glad they didn't focus on like the nuts and bolts of making the song like drunk algero Love it, except for the fact that it implies that he was the only one completely fucking booted out of his mind in the studio. Like this is the great this is after the AMAs, the biggest pop stars of nineteen eighty five. Right. Yeah.
0: It's it's LA in nineteen eighty five. Yeah. There was definitely other intoxicated people in that in that
1: room. Especially it's like midnight and it's like an all night recording session. Um so that was a great part. I love I didn't love. I mean it's you know, it's just kind of it's kinda shitty how like Whalen Jennings, A, I don't even remember him being there, but he's apparently too racist to swing in Swahili and then well, my favorite Okay, okay, but we yeah.
0: have to we have to explain this because there's a part in the movie like where Stevie Wonder he's like trying, I think, to make the song more interesting. Yeah. So he's like proposing that they sing some of the lyrics in Swahili, which they obviously didn't end up doing. I don't know I mean look, I think I don't. I don't want to call Waylon racist here. Yeah. I think Waylon Jennings is self-aware enough to know. Should I be singing in Swahili? Is this <laughs> something that Waylon Jennings? Does anyone want this would from Hank Waylon Jennings? Would have done it
1: this way, or yeah, you
0: because know, it's almost more racist for him to sing in Swahili. That's a good point. I think. You know, like because you would think that he's. There's no way he can do this authentically. Uh, but yeah, he leaves <laughs> like after that, just like walks out of the studio. It's like they didn't pair Willie and Waylon together like they put Waylon in the chorus and they paired Willie with Dion Warwick which I actually think is a great combo like they sound Mm -hmm. really good together but like Waylon and Willie are in the same room and you don't give them a verse that seems off to me Quincy Jones you're a genius but I think you fumbled the ball on that one
1: yeah but even after the uh, Whalen walks out, then someone has to tell Stevie Wonder they don't speak Swahili in Ethiopia, <laughs> which is like, I know yeah. it's not that, it's not like funny, but it's kind of funny. And then, um, so my, my other favorite part, speaking of Kenny Rogers, he dropped, like, they all say that, like, you know, Quincy Jones doesn't drive or this person had to get driven there. Like, Kenny Rogers pulls up in a fucking Chrysler laser like just swag off the charts in 1985 um i think the uh the for the uh i guess the emotional uh fulcrum of this movie is actually sheila e um right because like you know you would think like a star at the time certainly not at the level of some of the other people involved and then it becomes extremely clear to her that they just brought her there as, like, bait to get Prince, which is, like, so shitty, you know? Yeah,
0: and it didn't work either. Prince didn't show up. He's, like, hiding out in a Mexican restaurant on the (laughs) Sunset Strip. Won't show up. Um, Yeah, and, I mean, Prince got a lot of shit for that, for not showing up to We Are The World. I do think that he was probably just uncomfortable with being around so many people, people, which... is something that's really clear during the Bob Dylan sections. Like and look, I mean, I was already familiar with the footage of Bob trying to sing on We Are the World. And it's so painful to watch because it's not like it's not just that his voice sounds bad, like he literally can't sing. Like he's trying to sing and it's like there's barely any sound coming out of his mouth. And you just see like how uh uncomfortable he is and it's like so unnerving. Like he's so vulnerable. And Quincy Jones and Stevie Wonder basically have to coach him up on how to sing like Bob Dylan. Like, Stevie Wonder does a Bob Dylan impression for Bob Dylan. He's like, no, you sing it like this, and he does it. And then Bob sings it, and he says to Quincy, oh, that wasn't very good. And, like, Quincy hugs him, and it's like a very tender moment. Like, that that was... Probably the most memorable scene for me in the whole movie.
1: Yeah, it's like all, like watching Bob Dylan sing that. It's like you know the shreds videos that come out on YouTube where it, like you isolate like David Lee Roth just doing uh, running with the devil. Or um, I'm like, like every time they show Bob Dylan's face and it's clear he's not doing a single thing during the chorus. Like I'm imagining. The times I've seen like isolated waka flocka adlibs, where I'm like, I don't remember what Bob Dylan does on this song, so I'm like, thinking he's just gonna do like the grassy, yeah, the children, like doing the uh, the really deep, uh, you know, uh, time out of mind voice. I just also think it's funny they put him right next to Smokey Robinson, who sort of like was rocking a Bob Dylan look in 1985. Like they had converged on the same sort of like tousled appearance. Which and was he has awesome. a very.
0: And Smokey has a very skeezy mustache. Oh to yeah, that, like he, I don't know, whoever was doing his like fashion or you know his stylist or whatever, like they they committed a major problem with that one. Uh, can we say too that like 1985 was a great time for like 35 year old white guys because <laughs> there are so many like 35 year old white guys in here. Who are just soulful as hell. You got like Huey Lewis. Mm-hmm. You got Steve Perry, oh, who he like killed it. His voice—it's like he turns this song into a power ballad uh, for about three seconds. Like when he sings, you're like, "Oh, this is like, you know, don't stop believing." Yeah. You know, all over again. It's like I want to make love to a woman on a waterbed <laughs> with tiger print sheets while listening to Steve Perry sing. Um, when I say a woman, I mean my wife. Um, <laughs> so but and then Daryl Hall he's mm-hmm. killing it Kenny Loggins
1: he, he's killing Let's it like bearded white it. guys yeah. yeah man just just beautiful it's funny cuz like Quincy Jones like there's numerous times during this uh documentary where he's like complimenting a white guy for being a white guy like right. he uh you know it's it, like i i one of my favorite quotes is from the vocal arranger who says like Steve Steve Perry electrifying in that range? Like he really is, and because like you think about yeah. it, you think of these guys as, like just being kind of like cornball or whatever. But then like Huey Lewis, like he fucking delivers, man.
0: He does, man, and he and he's throwing his face into it too. Like mm. he's just make he's expressing how much soul is coming out of his mouth by like Heart his of rock face. and roll, man. Yeah, just unbelievable. Um, so. In my column, I, I I painted a scenario for a modern "We Are the World" uh, situation, and I want to lay this by you to see if this makes any sense or if you have any alternate choices. I think Quincy Jones, the obvious Quincy Jones analog, would be Jack Antonoff, so he's the producer of the modern "We Are the World." The Lionel Richie, who's Lionel Richie's like the quarterback of "We Are the World." You know, he co-wrote the song and he's helping to run the session. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers is the Lionel Richie. And then she's going to bring in a superstar co-writer. So we need the modern Michael Jackson. that's obviously Taylor Swift. So they're the two co-writers of the song. Uh, Bob Dylan is going to be Bob Dylan again. <laughs> uh, and extremely awkward still in 2024. Uh, in the Ray Charles role, you know, like the elder statesman, I have Paul McCartney coming in. So he is going to be the Ray Charles. Uh in the like pissy 40-something year old pop star who's passed their prime Paul Simon role, I've got John Mayer Great pick. in that role. Uh, in the prince role, you know, the enigmatic genius who doesn't show up to the session, Frank Ocean. So he's the prince. Um, surprisingly good matchup. Chris Stapleton and Bruno Mars. They kill their <laughs> verse together. And then the weakest matchup, I've got Lord and of course Dave Grohl. Um, my prediction for this song is that it comes out. One billion people stream it the first day, and then no one streams it ever again after that. Completely memory hold. <laughs> so that's my "We Are the World" scenario for 2024. Do you have any notes on that?
1: Yeah, I think the one to the I guess a, a thing you get uh, um, a compliment you can pay the greatest night in pop is that it it gives us such an unrealistic frame for thinking about how it would. Put across in 2024 because I mean you can't think of We Are the World without you know moving back because like what what would be a cause for this like you think of COVID and like the Gal Gadot (laughs) Imagine video like I think maybe that's the uh, new We Are the World but we're you want to talk about memory hold Um, there was a We Are the World 25 for Haiti uh, I believe that was 2010 and we. I know that people liked uh, the segment we did on the last episode where you just quizzed me about, like, did or did I not review this album? We could totally remember some guys for the World World 25 for Haiti roster because, I mean, 2010, that was a dark-ass time for pop music, and it's like you are not getting the equivalent of Michael Jackson or, uh, you know, Lionel Richie or whatever. It was like, you know, it was like Justin Bieber and Miley Cyrus, but... Also like Swiss beats and like uh, you know, TI get um, you know solos. I'm thinking uh, we are the world 2024 would be more like that. There's absolutely no way Taylor or Beyonce does this. I think the weekend would be the Michael Jackson role here because mm. you know he's like one of the few people who is, or is willing to embrace you know that sort of like that sort of narrative. I mean, Chris Brown would certainly make himself available. Um, Nicki Minaj, like, you're just gonna get the most cornball. Like, uh, I, I think that like for artist artist types like Beyonce or like Taylor, like I, I think they would see something like this as beneath them. So yeah, I think it's more. I think. The We Are The World 2024 would be more like the Imagine video and less like uh, the We Are... Like, you're going to get a shitty song out of it regardless. But, yeah, I don't I don't see like our A-list people. Like, Poptimism killed We Are The World.
0: All right, we've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first?
1: All right. So um, we, we have what many are considering the uh, Scandinavian emo version of Beta Band's three EPs. So let me see if I can get like five screens out of this. But um, yeah, we have a band called Flight Mode, who I may have like mentioned on previous uh, recommendation corner. They're a Norwegian emo band that have been releasing EPs uh, over the past couple of years on. You know, when Tiny Engines was kind of sort of on hiatus, they released it on the uh, Sound as Language label. Um, but now Tiny Engines is back, and they're collecting uh, three EPs uh, together on an album, and it's called The Three Times. Uh, you know, it's pretty obvious that they're older dudes. Like, they're in their 30s because, you know, this sounds like, the quiet parts of like Mineral or Braid or Mock Orange and most of the songs about like reminiscing about being young and being in the punk scene but it's done from like a it's done from a more like wistful and you know wash perspective rather than kind of doing the Japan droids uh, you know let's remember the night that you know we got in our car and like drank and drove and so forth very winter emo you know it's a kind of a variant of fall emo which we've talked about and you know towards the end of last year. But yeah, a lot of these songs have been out for a while. Now they put them together. It holds together great as an album. Uh, So Flight Mode, The Three Times.
0: So I'm going to talk about a record that actually came out uh, toward the end of 2023. And I didn't discover it until a few weeks ago. It's called It Takes Forever. And the band is called Memory Town. I got to shout out Taylor Grimes. Uh, He tweeted about this record. And he sold it as basically a really good, crunchy, MJ Linderman-esque rock record. Which, of course, I was going to click on immediately And I think that's a good description of this album Uh, very fun record Uh, here in the Midwest, we're having an unseasonably warm winter So warm that I actually think I can get on the patio a few times in January and February And I think I'm gonna play this record Uh, this band, Memory Town, uh, all one word, they're from Philadelphia it's a side project uh, for uh, this producer and uh, member of the band Gladdy. His name is Matt, and I'm going to butcher his last name. I believe it's Schimmel <laughs> Finning. Matt Schimmel Finning. That's a very Pennsylvanian-sounding name. <laughs> but anyway, Matt, you made a good record here. I like it a lot. Uh, it Takes Forever, Memory Town. Uh, if it's warm where you are, get your little portable speaker, stream it, blast it. It's going to feel super cozy. So... Check
1: it out. It takes forever. Memory Town. Yeah, shout out to Philadelphia Names, Concha Hawk and Wissahicken, uh, and Missing? Um, yeah, it, 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 if you have me in Southern California, we're looking at another catastrophic rainstorm, so Flight Mode's good for that, too.
0: Thank you all for listening to this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash Indie, And I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.